So this morning we're looking at a gift of the Holy Spirit that's called either discerning or distinguishing between spirits. All right, and that specifically launches us into the topic of spiritual warfare and what has often been termed deliverance, the experience of freedom from spiritual evil. And so if you're here this morning and you don't even believe in the existence of a spiritual realm or spiritual evil or angels and demons and all of that kind of stuff, this is going to be a little bit weird for you. This is one of those weeks where you come to church and it isn't like, hey, let's make this nice for newcomers. This is like, let's talk, fam. This is like real stuff. We're talking about the existence of real spiritual realm that exists. It's not just like heaven is up there and the bad place is down there and we're somewhere in between. And every once in a while, one of those spiritual beings pops up and like has a little party and we have to go, goodbye, evil spirit. And no, there's an actual spiritual realm that exists at the same time behind or in front of or in another dimension, whatever you want to describe it, from our physical reality. And so if that's weird for you, sorry, uh, you can come back next week and it won't be me teaching. So really glad. Uh, so when we talk about um, spiritual warfare and specifically these two things, distinguishing between spirits and deliverance, I want to make define some terms here this morning. So we have it on the screen. Distinguishing or dis discerning between spirits is a gift given by God's spirit that enables us to discern whether someone is under the influence of evil spirits or demons, as we sometimes call them. Deliverance, or spiritual warfare, is a practice or process by which Jesus' authority is wielded to free someone from the influence of spiritual evil or demons. And so, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Ryan taught about the topic of healing. And one of the most important things that we took away from that time was that healing is this all-encompassing, wide-scope understanding of God's activity in the world. So when we talk about healing, we don't just talk about physical or emotional or relational. It's all of those things. And it also encompasses spiritual healing, including deliverance and freedom from spiritual evil and demons. That's like one of the aspects of creation that has become broken due to sin. We experience evil in the sense of that our bodies don't work sometimes, I have knee problems. That's not spiritual evil, right? That's just physical abnormality. That's the thing that's broken because of sin entering God's good creation. We experience relational brokenness when we have discord with friends or family members. We experience emotional issues, psychological issues with anxiety, all of those things. We also experience evil or demons that sometimes animate or give fuel or power to some of those other things. So there are people who see a demon behind like every bush or every sneeze is a demon actually trying to get out of it. That's like way over the top. And there are people who see that, who think that demonic realities or spiritual evil is non-existent and then all there is is physical. All there is is emotional and relational. But the Bible gives us a much fuller picture of evil, a much fuller picture of what is wrong with our world in, due to sin. And demonic manifestations or evil spirits 
or spiritual evil is one component of things that are challenging about this world. And Jesus, when he came on the scene, Ryan quoted this a couple weeks ago. In Luke chapter four, Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 61 and describes the ministry that he's come to do. It's gonna be on the screen. The spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, get this. Jesus is not just talking about physical. He's not just talking about emotional healing. He's not just talking about relational healing. He's talking about setting free captives, both in physical imprisonment and spiritual bondage. So Jesus understands the totality of what it means to be a person, and he wants to give us freedom and healing from all of that. He started his ministry with that declaration. Now, before we jump any further into it, I wanna give like a little bit of a caveat because my own like journey of understanding this stuff dates back just like about a year. Like I, the Lord has kind of brought me through this past year of like trying to explore and understand a little bit more about what does it mean that there is like spiritual evil and that there's like spiritual warfare and there's demons and there's an unseen realm and all of that kind of stuff. And the feeling of being completely kind of new or like a newbie to something when you're supposed to be a pastor and a leader and in ministry is really, really humbling. Um, but it's actually been an incredible thing and a freeing thing to admit that this is something that I've needed God to teach me. And the more that I learn, the more that I am humbled to understand what I don't know. And we don't know a lot about the spiritual realm. The Bible doesn't give us like the complete field guide. It only tells us what we need to know to follow Jesus. So I'm teaching this to you guys today, not as an expert on any of this stuff, but out of my sincere desire to learn and to see God show up in these ways in my life. And I can only, uh, I can only believe that the enemy and that Satan doesn't actually want any of you guys here today to learn any of this stuff because I have had quite a heavy week in preparing for this talk. It's been really challenging. There's a lot of things that I could have said, oh, that's just a coincidence um, that my kid is sick. Oh, it's just a coincidence that my wife has an inexplicable shoulder pain. Oh, it's just a coincidence that I've had these challenges and conflicts with people at work and that I've just been walking around with this sense of like heaviness all week, but I, I believe it's actually because we have a spiritual enemy and he doesn't want this topic talked about today uh, because that's how he works. He wants to keep us in darkness and away from the truth. And he doesn't want any of you guys here to listen today. So if any of you experienced like a greater than normal challenge in even getting out the door this morning, um, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but it's probably because the enemy doesn't want you to be here today. So, uh, Similar to like a couple weeks ago when Ryan talked about, uh, we, we talked about the, the topic of speaking in tongues as a gift of the Spirit, and Ryan freely admitted he has never done this before. And so he taught from that place of humility and saying like, this is what the Bible says about it. I've never experienced it. It's kind of like that way for me as well. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the process of what deliverance looks like and how someone is actually delivered from spiritual evil and what, what you can kind of do to help somebody in prayer. Um, but I've never actually been a part of that as much as I've experienced spiritual warfare myself. I've never been able to lead anybody 
in freedom from spiritual evil before. So this is like me freely admitting that this morning and just teaching what the Bible says about it. When we talk about the dynamics of the spiritual realm, we need to be clear about what is in Scripture and what is important but still unclear. And that process of deliverance is very much that. It's, it's totally like talked about in Scripture. It's assumed that it's going to happen, but it's still very unclear, and there's a lot of diversity of opinions about this within the body of Christ. So there's a lot of speculation. We're going to try not to get into any of the speculative stuff today, um, but there's definitely been uh, an experience of overt spiritual attack um, in my life. And so if you guys were a part of our church last summer, maybe you attended this incredible seminar that we had. Um, Dr. Gary Brashears from Western Seminary came down and taught a whole seminar on like this topic and getting into the nitty gritty of it. And that's like his specialty. So I'm not like even hoping to get as like into the weeds as he was able to. So we're gonna have a little bit of a flyover this morning, trying to be both comprehensive and practical. Um, but I want to recommend to you guys a book that was on our current series page for recommended resources. If you go to our website, you can get there through the QR code. There's a book called Deliverance by a pastor named John Thompson in Toronto. Incredible book. Uh, can't recommend it enough. It's very dense. It's very theological. But if you want to understand more about this stuff, go and pick up this book um, after our time together. So... We're going to look at four things. We're going to look at the backdrop of deliverance, uh, which is the fact that there is a spiritual realm. We're going to look at the story of deliverance, the fact that there is cosmic conflict between God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness. We're going to look at the basis of deliverance, which is that God has given us spiritual authority. And we're going to look a little bit at the practice of deliverance. What does it look like to enable to, to walk in God's spirit and authority to help other people experience freedom. Sound good? You still with me? You don't want to leave? Okay, awesome. So let's stand as we read uh, from God's word. We do this to acknowledge that what we're reading is not human, but divine, and to open ourselves up in our bodies and our minds to what God has to say. So Ephesians chapter 6, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus about this topic, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession 
for all the saints. Let's pray. Lord, we are in need of your Holy Spirit to not only inform this gathering, but also guard our hearts and our minds right now. I pray that anything that is spoken this morning would only be of you, Jesus, and not of anyone else. That any word that comes to our hearts to make an impact on us this morning would only be from you. Lord, silence my mouth if I'm going to say anything that is not from you. I pray that you would fill me and enable me to teach this word this morning. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are gathered here right now, that you would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, that you would enable us to, even now as we're listening to your word, which is the sword of the spirit to do battle against the enemy, would you wake us up to the reality of the spiritual realm? Would you enable us to gird ourselves with this armor every single day so that we would be effective in wielding your authority and being ambassadors for your kingdom. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. So um, how many of you guys watched the Apple keynote a couple weeks ago? Apple nerds? Just a few of you. Uh, Do you guys remember um, what was the one more thing at the end? Shout it out. No? Yep, Vision Pro, which is what? It's AR goggles, right? It's AR glasses. So if you don't know, and you're not a huge nerd, I'm not an Apple nerd at all, but I am a general nerd. I don't get specific about my nerddom. Um, A little bit of Star Wars, a little bit of Lord of the Rings, a little bit of video games, dabbling here and there. So I dabbled, and I learned a little bit that AR, or augmented reality, is different from VR, or virtual reality. So you put on VR goggles, Uh, like Meta developed those a few years ago. And they're basically like you're experiencing stuff that's not there. It's like a video game or it's a movie and it's just more like all-encompassing of an experience. You're kind of immersed into it. AR, augmented reality, is basically you put on these things and you're seeing the same real world that you're a part of, but there's stuff that's been added that's not actually there that you're only seeing because you're wearing these goggles or these glasses. And this is way trippier, right? It's way trippier than virtual reality because you put on the virtual reality, like maybe you spend a little bit too much time in there and you're like, whoa, I don't know what's real anymore. But you put on the AR goggles and you're literally seeing stuff that is not there (laughs) with your real world. If you guys like play Pokemon Go, like I do, Yes, I still play with my kids, okay? (laughs) Still play Pokemon Go with my kids. You can like put up your phone and it'll show you like your living room with like a Pikachu right there. That's augmented reality. Now, I want to suggest to you that putting on the eyes of faith and that the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to experience the world almost as an augmented reality in terms of the existence of a spiritual realm that has overlaid our actual reality. Heaven is not like pie in the sky. The bad place isn't like six feet under the earth. It is like dimensional. And right now there are spiritual beings operating behind what we can see and specifically because we're physical creatures, we're created with physical bodies, 
there is a spiritual realm that, not, that we just can't see into that is nevertheless very real and operating. And the, we can't go too deep into it this morning, but the biblical worldview assumes the reality of an unseen realm. It is not an antiquated idea from old naive cultures that we've progressed past due to scientific learning and understanding. And it's just like, oh, those Bible people, they believed that there was a spirit realm, but now we know better because our cosmology is different. We don't think that heaven's up there, yada, yada, yada. It's not. It's been affirmed by literally every single culture throughout history except Western rationalist empiricism, which is the worldview that you and I have inherited. Western post-enlightenment rationalist empiricism, which is the belief that we can only believe in what we see, what can be scientifically proven. Our five senses are the ultimate arbiter of truth, that there's nothing metaphysical. But just like Morpheus said in The Matrix, right? If, you, if what is real to you is only what you can see, what you can smell, what you can taste and touch, then real are just impulses emitted by your brain we know that there is a reality beyond just the physical. And actually, the spiritual climate of our city, of Los Angeles, is getting closer and closer to the pages of Scripture than many other Western cities around the world. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but just the fact that it's a cultural assumption that your astrological sign is a relevant way to understand one another that's like pretty spiritual. And yet that person would say like, yeah, no, I just, I only believe in what I can see. I trust in science and there is no God, right? But what's your sign? Um, oh, you're Pisces? Ooh, okay. Um, why do we do that? Because it's a very spiritual place. Or the like prevalence of crystals and your aura and like you can go to like stores in Malibu and go buy a crystal that you like hang in your car and it gives you good vibes and stuff like that. What is that? Or like people's weekend plans, including taking peyote for an ancestral healing ritual up in Ojai. Real conversation I overheard not too long ago in a cafe by normal looking people sitting next to me. It's a very spiritual place. And what we become more comfortable with in our culture is to deny the reality of a spiritual world, which unfortunately makes us even more vulnerable to spiritual attack. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a fantastic book called The Screwtape Letters a long time ago, talking about this like spiritual figure uh, who's trying to like get at this Christian and like learn all the ways that he can kind of infiltrate his life and make him, his name is Wormwood, he's like a junior demon. And then he has Uncle Screwtape, which is like the senior demon. But in the, the preamble to the book, he talks about this, this reality within our culture of to like deny the existence of a spiritual world. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall about the devils. One, is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. <laughs> they themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So maybe you grew up in a Christian home or in a, a home that's emphasized faith and you know people we're more on the side of like seeing a demon under every bush or like every sneeze or something like that. And you're kind of like, ah, I've kind of matured beyond that. 
That is a distortion. That is an extremist view. There isn't a devil behind every bush, but neither is it okay to deny the existence of spiritual evil because it makes us more vulnerable to it. As the great uh, 90s movie, The Usual Suspects said, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist. Um, The reality is that awareness of a spiritual realm is not required to be affected by it. We don't have to believe in it to be affected by it. Reread with me Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 specifically that we read earlier. Paul says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this darkness, and evil spiritual forces in the heavens. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you kind of read over that verse every time, and you're like, oh, great, he's just using a bunch of synonyms to talk about evil. That's actually not the case. Paul is speaking about somewhat of like a hierarchy within the spiritual realm. You can almost imagine it like if the enemy is like a general and he has like ranking officers below him, that's kind of what those different highlighted portions are talking about. That there is not just like a bunch of spiritual beings that want like your demise and are working against you, but that there is order behind the enemy's plan to take any advantage that he can, to take any opportunity to get God's people distracted and believing lies, and he does so in a hierarchy that's very, very organized. These are not just synonyms. And they're also not just ways of talking about different physical or emotional or systemic challenges within our world. So it's behind all of these things, there, is, there are spiritual forces operating that actually give energy, fuel, and power to things like systemic injustice, to things like physical maladies, to things like relational brokenness. They can actually be fueled by spiritual evil. So There's the one hand that's like, "Ah, I don't know if I believe in all of this stuff. It's kind of a little too out of the ordinary for me. And on the other hand, overemphasis on the spiritual realm leads to minimizing some of the other effects of sin that we talked about earlier. The fact that sin and brokenness and evil affects all parts of us, our our bodies, our minds, our spirits. We live in a fallen world. There are viruses. There are accidents. There is anxiety, there's unforgiveness, there's stress. All of these things are realities that we have to deal with, and that doesn't mean that all of them are somehow empowered by spiritual evil. Some of it, sometimes you just have a headache. Sometimes you just have a cold. Sometimes you just stub your toe. It doesn't mean that there's a demon behind you go, ha, gotcha, stub your toe, I put that there. No, that's not how it works. But it does mean that sometimes some of those things are given energy, are given power by the spiritual realm. When you put on these AR goggles of faith and look at the world and the story of scripture, you begin to see evidence of the spiritual battle raging all around us. 
And Jesus is thrown right into the middle of this conflict when he comes on earth to be the representative of humanity that stands in the gap where Adam and Eve and all people throughout all time have failed. He comes to represent and be the perfect human and do battle with the enemy in a way that we could not. So now we're gonna look at the story of deliverance and it starts in Luke chapter four, verse one. Luke chapter four, verse one says, then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. So the devil took Jesus up and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all of this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. Pretty crazy. As soon as Jesus experiences this baptism by his cousin where the spirit of God descends out of heaven like a dove and rests on Jesus, the first thing that happens is he's propelled out into the wilderness to do actual battle with the actual enemy of our souls, Satan. And in this conflict, Satan makes a claim. He says that he has the power or the authority to give Jesus the kingdoms of this world if Jesus would just fall down and worship him. Now, is he bluffing? No. Satan is a liar and the father of lies, as Jesus says, but in this specific instance, Satan isn't like puffing himself up and saying, well, you know, I got some stuff I could give you. No, he's literally saying that everything in this world has been given over to him and belongs to him. How can he say that? Because we as humanity actually had the authority but forfeited it in the garden. God, in creating the world, gave authority to humans, to you and me, to Adam and Eve, to all humanity, to be his representatives were created in the image and likeness of God. And we were to be God's vice regents, ruling over his creation and acting as God's ambassadors in bringing the world under order. So when you see Adam naming animals in the garden, that was an exercise of God's authority over his creation. But when the enemy came into the picture and tempted humanity and we fell, that authority that was given to us was actually forfeited to the enemy. So when Adam is naming everything in creation, he's exercising authority over it, the enemy comes in and undermines this identity that was given to humanity by God through lies. So the enemy's tactic was to get Adam and Eve to doubt God's identity that he had given to them as vice regents, as God's representative on earth. And through these lies, by believing these lies instead of God's truth about who they were, that they were God's people, that they were his ambassadors, we forfeited that authority over to the enemy. And the spiritual realm 
operates according to these kind of rigid legal principles, including the nature of authority. So Satan knew that when he had gotten Adam and Eve to forfeit their right to be God's representatives, that that gave him authority over God's creation. And so what's going on here in Jesus's temptation by Satan is not that Satan is just trying to get Jesus on a bad day after he had been fasting and he's like, oh, he's weak now. He's, Jesus has actually gone out into the wilderness. Remember, the Spirit sent him there. Jesus has gone into the wilderness to do battle with the enemy to win back the authority that had been forfeited over to the enemy by Adam and Eve. And he does so. And Jesus resists this initial onslaught by the enemy and proceeds to take that authority and wield it over God's creation, bringing God's kingdom, which is wherever God is king, his realm and his reign, and bringing his kingdom to confront evil and completely defeat it. And that's what we see Jesus doing just a few verses later in verse 31. It says, Then he went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching because, what? His message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He tries to name him. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over them all. And they were saying to one another, what is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power. And they come out. Jesus responds takes this authority that had been won by resisting the enemy in a way that humanity never could and immediately goes and preaches God's word and brings his kingdom in this way of confronting evil and dismantling its power. The demon directly confronts Jesus because Jesus is displaying this authority in the spiritual realm and the enemy is triggered by this and attempts to exercise some kind of authority back over Jesus by naming him. But Jesus responds by exerting this authority, not just as the Son of God, but as a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember, he was given the Spirit of God at his baptism. And Jesus emptied himself of the rights and privileges of what it meant to be the Son of God. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2. He emptied himself of all of the rights and privileges of what it means to be the Son of God. And so here, as he speaks to this spiritual evil being and commands it to come out of this person, he's operating as a human, just like you and me, under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus models deliverance not as God in the flesh, but as a spirit-filled human being. And he says, greater things than these will you do, speaking to his followers. Jesus describes deliverance, this act of restoring people and delivering them from evil, as God's kingdom invading earth. Luke chapter 11, he says, 
or it says, now he was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. So when we're talking about distinguishing between spirits, the ability to discern whether somebody is under the influence of spiritual evil or the Holy Spirit, these guys that were accusing Jesus of doing deliverance ministry by spiritual evil did not have the gift of distinguishing spirits because they were accusing Jesus of using spiritual evil to do spiritual evil. It says, he drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons, and others as a test were demanding a sign from heaven. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebul, one of these ranking officers in the spiritual realm. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. And if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Two weeks ago, when Ryan was teaching on healing, we were saying that someone who is healed, who is brought into a restored relationship with themselves, with someone else, within their health, is experiencing God's kingdom in that moment. Because in this broken state of sin, because sin has infiltrated this world and broken every dimension of this world, it needs healing, it needs restoration. And when God's kingdom, which is anywhere that God rules and reigns, is brought to bear on that brokenness, we are experiencing the reality of God's kingdom breaking into this world. And it's the same when somebody is delivered from spiritual evil. We are experiencing the inbreaking of God's kingdom. And yet, we live in this now and not yet reality. God's kingdom has come in Jesus, and yet we don't experience the fullness, the consummation of his kingdom because we still experience spiritual evil on a regular basis. So Jesus doesn't just keep this important kingdom-building activity to himself. He delegates it to others. And that's where we get into the basis of deliverance. And that is spiritual authority delegated. This is what happened in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. Jesus delegated authority to others during his time on earth and following. There are these 72 people that were part of Jesus's ministry and received Jesus's authority and power to do what he had just been doing. It says the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There is a simplicity to the reality that all Jesus had to do was delegate his authority to these 72 people and send them out, and that in Jesus' name, these demons had to respond by leaving in the same way that when Jesus was casting demons out of people, they had to respond because authority what we've been talking about, this authority that was forfeited and then won back by Jesus, that's like spiritual currency. 
So when you use Jesus's authority, when you operate in Jesus's authority, it's almost like you have your dad's credit card, right? How many of you uh, did that unknowingly? Happy Father's Day, right? <laughs> you stole your dad's credit card. Uh, don't tell them if they're here. Um, it's like we're using Jesus's credit card. Every time we use his name, Jesus has unlimited credit in the spiritual realm. And when you tell a demon to flee, on Jesus's authority, it has to listen. Authority is the right and power to act and speak as if Jesus himself were present. And Jesus was talking to these 72 people who had just gone on this mission sent out by Jesus to exercise his authority and says, that's why I gave it to you. Good job. And he refocuses them not on the reality of these demons leaving and, and uh, fleeing at his name, which they rightly recognize. He refocuses them on the basis of the authority that's been delegated to them, that it has nothing to do with their own power. It's only based on what Jesus has done. He says, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The authority that we have delegated by Jesus is positional authority. If we have placed our faith in Jesus, we have been delegated his authority because positionally we are seated with him in heaven. Jesus' sure victory through the cross and resurrection establishes permanent authority in the spiritual realm. So this Temporary authority that was given to these 72 people during Jesus' time on earth, even greater authority has been given to us now who believe in Jesus and have placed our faith in his death and resurrection. Paul summarizes the effect of Jesus' victory in the spiritual realm in Colossians chapter 2. It says, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him, in Jesus. So Paul is speaking about what Jesus did in his death and his resurrection and his ascension was not just accomplishing the forgiveness of our sins, although it did that. It's not just our justification, a legal status that we have inherited because of Jesus' work. It says that in Jesus' death and his resurrection, there has been a definitive defeat of spiritual evil. And the results of that battle are now given to us who belong to Jesus, who placed our faith in him, and are now, as Paul says, seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. So positionally, you and I who have placed our faith in Jesus have not only been given authority over spiritual evil, we have been given positional status with Jesus. So it's as if we are ruling and reigning with him in heaven. Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, all authority has been given to me. Now go. So Jesus now has all authority in the spiritual realm to bring his kingdom. And he does that not by remaining on earth, but by delegating that authority to you and to me. So all who 
are in Christ have this authority to practice deliverance. But this experience of deliverance and freedom and spiritual warfare is not something that has only been done throughout history by followers of Jesus. It was actually something that was practiced a lot within the first century and times around that by uh, Jewish exorcists, by people of other faith traditions, and they had all of these weird like incantations and rituals and ways that they would try to get spiritual evil to flee from somebody. Um, this is usually how it's depicted in the movies, and so that's kind of how our brains are wired. Like, there's this special formula you have to say, and there's like this cross that you have to like wave at somebody in the face and stuff like that, and be gone and all that kind of stuff. And there's actually an account in the Bible of somebody trying to do just that who hasn't received this positional spiritual authority from Jesus. In Acts chapter 19, it should be on screen. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. A formula, right? Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, yikes. I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who the blank are you? <laughs> it's inferred from the text. <laughs> then the men who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. So here we have deliverance trying to be practiced by others besides followers of Jesus. And we learn that this deliverance is not expressed by a formula, by an, but by an exercise of faith. What's frightening and also very true is that the demon recognized what was true in the spiritual realm the demon recognized that these guys did not have the authority that they were claiming to have. They didn't know it. And often, we don't actually know who who's claiming to be a follower of Jesus actually is. But in the spiritual realm, it's very apparent who belongs to Jesus and who does not. Because anyone who belongs to Jesus has his spiritual authority. If you are sitting here this morning, you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have spiritual authority delegated to you based on the victory that Jesus won on the cross and through his resurrection. We don't always know when someone who's claiming to be a follower of Jesus is actually legit, but the demons do. But this doesn't mean that demons never resist. If you read through the gospel accounts and you see other aspects of Jesus delivering people from spiritual evil, sometimes the enemy will try to resist and not come out of somebody the first time. This is the reality of living, like I said, within the tension of the now and the not yet. But if you are in Christ, you are wielding the authority of Jesus, not your own position or power, Deliverance has been practiced not just 
in the times of Jesus, not just in the times of the early church, but also throughout church history. In this book that I mentioned earlier, um, Deliverance by John Thompson, he talks about how this practice of deliverance happened throughout church history. In fact, one of the church fathers named Athanasius saw it as an apologetic for the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus' existence. He says, when, where Christ is mentioned, all demonic deceit is revealed and no demon even tolerates that the name is mentioned, but hurries to flee as it hears it mentioned. This is not the work of a dead man, but a living and first and foremost God. It is clear that if Christ were dead, that he would not expel the demons for the demons would not obey one who is dead. So for this church father living a couple hundred years after the time of Jesus, the fact that Jesus' name could be pronounced in faith and demons have to obey is evidence for the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. So the battle against spiritual evil rages on to this day and the resurrected Jesus is taking spiritual ground back for his kingdom and it happens through us. It happens through his followers. Our lives are not mundane, but an incredible adventure of walking in victory that Jesus has won over the powers of darkness. And maybe you're here this morning and this is old news to you and you're like, yeah, I've heard spiritual warfare stuff before. But then I would ask, why are we not living like this on a daily basis? When we see Paul talk about the armor of God, Every morning, we can choose to put on this lens of faith, this, these spiritual AR goggles, and see this battle playing out all around us, but it means we actually need to get dressed. And getting dressed means stepping into the fray, which is a kind of scary place to be. So sometimes we just like to pretend like it's not actually going on. But friends... We have Jesus's authority delegated to us. There's nothing we have to fear. So lastly, and briefly, we're going to look at the practice of deliverance. And we're gonna reread again Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 13. It says, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. The practice of warfare is like getting dressed. The suggestion that Paul is giving us here in this passage is that the enemy would love to catch you naked. He would love to catch you unprepared before you have recognized that every morning as you get up, you are entering into a spiritual battle. The reality is that we already are. And the enemy doesn't wait until we have remembered this and put our armor on and step in the arena. He does not fight fair. Every aspect of the armor that Paul mentions in this passage is an expression 
of the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. This is not something that we have to muster up. His truth, his righteousness, his peace, the faith that is a gift, the salvation that we have been given in Jesus' name, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is the Word of God, these are all gifts that God has given us. This is not something that we do of our own effort, of our own authority, but Jesus' authority given to us. And this is how we put on Christ, as Paul says elsewhere. Now, as we've talked about earlier, guidance for practical principles for how to do deliverance in Scripture is very minimal, Like it doesn't give you the how-to guide for this is how you sit down and if you suspect somebody has a demon in them, this is what you have to do, this is what you have to say. But it assumes that we will be doing it. Spiritual warfare, rather than being something that immature believers constantly think is going on and there's a devil behind every bush, is actually not a sign of immaturity, but of maturity. And... The experience of spiritual warfare in your life. The reality that some of us experience greater spiritual warfare because of persistent sin, because of lies that we've internalized and believed, that we experience demonic activity and attack on our lives is not a sign of immaturity, but of maturity. To recognize that we are in a spiritual battle is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of faith. If someone has ever talked about, you know, demons to you and says, well, oh, believers in Jesus don't have anything to worry about because demons can't possess believers in Jesus. They're right, but they're also not right. (laughs) Um, Possession is actually a foreign invention that was like added on to scripture. Nobody in scripture uses the word possession. It's only the word demonization. So demonization, not possession, is what we're talking about when somebody is under the influence of spiritual evil. The word for possession is not in the Bible at all. And there are varying degrees of demonization that we as believers in Jesus can experience. And they can take greater or lesser control of somebody depending on whether they have been given access or the authority to do so. It's possible through sin. It's possible through believing and internalization of lies in our lives to give access to the enemy in our lives. Paul talks about this in two specific places. In Ephesians chapter four, he talks about something called footholds. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Here he is talking about the opportunity that we give to the enemy whenever we allow bitterness in our lives to remain against other people, when we allow sin that is crept into our lives to go unconfessed, this gives opportunities for the enemy to demonize us, to mess with us. Unconfessed sin, bitterness, habitual sin, and even anger, these are ways that the enemy can actually gain access to our lives and influence us and demonize us. 
The other thing besides footholds is strongholds, which he talks about in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So here he's talking about embedded patterns of thinking that are contrary to the truth. Some of us have embedded patterns of thinking that are due to traumatic events that we've experienced in our past. Some of this can even happen for those of us who have a history or maybe in history in our family of dabbling in false religion or the occult. Some of us have internalized these strongholds due to sexual encounters that we've had in the past or things that have been done to us. These are all things that give the enemy an opportunity to kind of infiltrate our lives and to influence our behavior and to demonize us. These could be things that you're not even aware of that have been done by others in previous generations within your family even. These realities are these footholds, these strongholds, these are things that God has given us specific spiritual weapons to dismantle. And the enemy would love to keep those things in darkness. The enemy would love for you not to recognize or even to dismiss the possibility of giving access to him by not acknowledging that something has become a foothold in your life, by not acknowledging that there has been something in your past, some pattern, some habitual pattern of thinking that has created a stronghold in your life. But the light of God's presence, when shining on those strongholds or footholds, is powerful enough to expose it, and the authority of Jesus is powerful enough to bring healing and freedom from all of those things. And we actually have a, a dear sister in our church community who is brave enough to say that she had a story about one of these instances in her life that she's going to share with us really briefly. And I promise we won't go too much longer after that. But I would love to invite up our sister Keely to share her story with us. So we've been doing this throughout this series of a few folks who have had some of these types of experiences within spiritual gifts um, have shared their stories, like Jeremy shared during Speaking in Tongues Week, Lorenzo shared during the week about prophecy, and Keely has a story to share about deliverance. So welcome, Keely. Hi, church. So I was part of a Christian fellowship in college, and we every year or so we did a spiritual retreat together where we would all get away to Catalina Island. And um, there was one year in particular where we were focusing on prayer. And so we set up what we called a prayer hospital. So the idea was that um, any one of us could come and be prayed for by um, fellow people who were in this, this Christian community. Others could come from, um, from outside who maybe weren't believers and could come and get prayer. So that was the whole idea. Um, and so I, at the time, was dealing with some, some pretty severe body image issues. Um, not a casual or fleeting issue. This was really something that was, it was consuming my thoughts on a very regular basis, like multiple times a day. Um, and this had been going on for a while. And even though I had tried 
doing what I what I could, um, seek advice, um, try to eliminate this issue in my life. Um, it hadn't. I really hadn't made any progress. It had been it had been bad for some time. So I thought this would be a great issue to bring to this prayer hospital um, that uh, my community was was putting on. So I went and um, and asked for prayer specifically for this issue. A few of my friends, I think it was three of them, were gathered around me, and they started praying for me for this issue in particular. And they were praying for a while. Nothing was really happening. I mean, they were just kind of, you know, popcorn prayer, like normal. And um, all of a sudden, I, I started to get really faint, um, really, really dizzy. Um, and I was actually already sitting down, but I was, it was actually, I was so dizzy and so lightheaded that I actually couldn't sit anymore. I had to, I had to lie down. Um, so I lied down uh, right there, and my, my friends continued praying for me. And the dizziness actually didn't get any better. It got worse. I started feeling a little bit nauseous, um, and I, ha I had to close my eyes because I, I was feeling, um, feeling really bad. <laughs> then my, my friends kept praying. Um, all of a sudden, with my eyes very closed, um, shut very tightly, I, I felt my, my hand come up toward my stomach, which was a significant body part for me in these, um, in these image issues. Um, and all of a sudden, my hand kind of started scratching away at, at the skin on my stomach. Now, at this point, my eyes are still closed very tightly. I'm not necessarily seeing what's happening, but I can feel it. My nails are actually digging into my skin. It was quite painful. And I didn't have any control over my hand. I didn't, I wasn't, I truly was not controlling it. Um, it was extremely painful. I would never have done that um, to myself. And I, I remember um, kind of looking down as I, was, as I was laying down, looking down at my stomach and seeing my, my nails just dig into my skin. Um, my friends were still praying at this point. And um, one of my friends, upon, upon seeing this as she was praying, said, in Jesus' name, we command this to stop. And in that moment, my hand, although it was still clenched, I still didn't have control over it at all. Um, my hand raised up and was kind of um, hovering over my stomach. So the scratching had stopped, but I still didn't, I didn't have control over either of my arms. Um, I didn't have control over either of my hands, and my body was still incredibly clenched and tight. Um, I could move my head to see what was going on, but that's really about all. Um, so my friends continued praying after the, the scratching stopped. Um, after maybe five or ten minutes more of praying, my hands and my arms kind of came back into my own control. Uh, I felt like my, my body was much, much more loose, much less tense. And, um, and my friends kept praying over this issue. After, after that day and after that time of prayer, the, the image issues got better. <laughs> they didn't, it didn't go away right away. Um, it was still something that I had to work on for at, at least another year or so. It was something I had to process through em emotionally. But ever since that day, ever since that event and my friends praying over me, um, specifically over that issue, there wasn't, it, it felt like the stronghold had been lifted. It felt like, it felt like actually when I tried to make progress, things would happen, right? It didn't, it didn't feel like, um, 
like an uphill battle that I had no, no winning hand over. It, it felt like I was actually given back some power and authority to um, make progress on that issue in my life. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a wild experience. And looking back, that was about 10 years ago. Um, and it's incredible to, to look back and think about that time now and think about um, how faithful God was um, in, in performing that work. And um, I'm, I feel honored to be able to share that with you all. So thank you. Thank you so much, Keely. So I'll, I'll be really brief. I know we're going over, but I, I want you to see a few things within her story. It's an incredible story of God's deliverance from this very clear stronghold within her life. That her friends who were praying over her, they did three things. They, they saw what was going on, they listened to God, and they spoke God's authority, okay? So if you can just remember those three things from Keely's story, they saw that there was this abnormal thing going on. They recognized that this is not how things normally work. They noticed, which is something that God gave them the ability to do. They listened to the Holy Spirit telling them to pray for her and specifically what was going on. And then they spoke the name of Jesus and his authority over what was happening to her. And because of that, because of wielding Jesus' authority that had been delegated to them over her life, that stronghold was broken. And this is the act of, this is the process, this is the practice of deliverance. And it happens because of the gift of distinguishing between spirits. So God gives this gift of discerning or distinguishing between spirits to his people to be able to identify when there's something going on that requires this kind of powerful encounter with God's authority. And God wants to give this gift to his church. We've been eagerly desiring as a community God to give these spiritual gifts so that we can operate in the power and the authority of Jesus in our church community. We've been saying that we desire to express a humble hunger. We, we desire the gifts, we're hungry for them, but we do so in humility, knowing that it's God who gives these gifts as he wills. So this morning, I believe that God wants to empower us to give us this gift of being able to distinguish, to determine when there is a spiritual battle that needs to occur. And some of you might be sitting here this morning going, whoa, that's too weird for me. That's okay. Some of you might have actually been experiencing conviction from the Holy Spirit that you're supposed to be asking for this gift. And I believe that God wants to give that to you this morning. Our relationship with Jesus is what all of this stuff is all about. And we have been given spiritual authority by nature of being in Christ, by experiencing his salvation and his victory on the cross and through his resurrection. But there is an ability for us to cultivate an even greater spiritual authority by growing in our relationship to Jesus. And that's what he wants for us. He wants to grow in relationship to, with us for us to experience an increase in the spiritual authority that he has given us. And through intimacy with him, he wants to deliver us and set us free from these bondages, from these strongholds, from these footholds that we have 
typically allowed the enemy access into our life. I believe that there are people here today who God wants to set us free from. Maybe there's something that's in your life that you have not specifically marked as something that's been empowered or, or fueled by spiritual evil. Maybe you thought it was just regular. Maybe you thought it was just physical. Maybe you thought it was just emotional. And God wants to kind of put his finger on that and through the gift of distinguishing spirits say like, no, I want to deliver you from that. 